0: And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman.
1: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. And thank you for all the comments, all the tweets you send my way, the reviews uh, and ratings on iTunes. Uh, it, it It's awesome. And uh, I I read all of them, even though, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'd be a better man uh, if, uh, if it was all, if I didn't uh, engage with any of it. And if I just uh, acted like, oh, I don't care, I don't care what anybody thinks, but I'd be lying, and uh, and I don't do this uh, to lie. I do this to uh, try to engage in some kind of honest communication with my guests and with you. So, thank you for uh, always reaching out and for the encouragement uh, and thoughts on the show. Please keep doing it. Today's guest is Mike Brubiglia, who is. You know, one of the most, I mean, most important comedians in the country for sure. He's a lot, I'd say he's a lot more than that, but I think being a comedian is great. It's hard to be more than that. But he does also, uh, he's written books. He's been nominated for a Thurber Award, which is like the highest award a humorist uh, writer can get. He's a filmmaker, writer and uh, director of the movie Sleepwalk With Me. He performs one-man shows all over the country. He's a regular on This American Life. He's a hilarious, incredibly uh, a talented guy, and I'm thrilled to get to talk to him. We've met a couple of times. We first met on Twitter, I think, and uh, connected there, and then have I've gone to see his one his one man show in progress, which is awesome. Uh, I went to a reading of his new screenplay in his apartment in, in Brooklyn, which was his house, which was also awesome. And uh, this guy seems to have figured out a whole bunch of stuff, and yet in the stories that he, he tells, he's almost always the fool. And I, I'm curious about why that is and, and how he really thinks of himself. And we'll get into that and a whole bunch more when he gets here. Thanks for hanging in. Thanks for listening. Berbiglia will be here soon. Great. Mike Berbiglia. How are you?
0: You're here. I know. Can you believe it? After all this tweeting at each other. A
1: lot of tweeting. <laughs> and I had sort of You're thought... you a
0: legion of... You, you, you sick people on me, too.
1: You have a legion of fans who tweet at me also. Well, it was nice to know... Well, you have a legion of fans. I got a couple of fans. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Have, I don't know. You have a, a a legion of real... But you make your fans... I mean, your whole thing... It feels like you have a big family, kind of.
0: It is a little. It's a little cultish. It's uh, because I'm not well-known people listening to this right now might be saying, who is this? I'm looking at his name and I do not know who this is. And, and, and that's sort of the essence of, of my career is that I have a thing where a lot of people come out to my shows. Like I'm playing Bam opera house in a couple of weeks. It, it'll probably be sold out. And, and, uh, what's the date, of, like what's two, the date of that show? September 5th, S- September 5th. You got to go see Mike. Raviglia. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be, but, but the point is there'll be like 2000 people in the room and, Chances are everyone in the room that day said to someone in their life, I'm going to see Mike Birbiglia. And that person said, who? And then <laughs> they said, and then they referenced some projects I did.
1: And then they go, what's that? That's, uh, yeah, but you're <laughs> saying the only 2,000 people. in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, says go. Exactly. Or, or Brooklyn, yeah. But what's interesting about that is I'm sure that when only 100 people came to see you, so that was awesome.
0: All Every step of the way has been
1: interesting in its own way. Yeah, and just cool in its own way, yeah. Because like uh, I remember when I would go see Blues Traveler, yeah, in New York, and it started. They had like a hundred people. to oh, there, is that right? Little shows. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. They're from here. Yeah. And then I remember they played Wetlands. Do you when you, when you moved to New York City? Was there Wetlands still there I on don't recall Hudson? it. No. And it would be like seven hundred people. And then finally they played Roseland, and it was like yeah, I know that one, right? And uh, I was thinking like each step, it, they somehow made this thing feel like a family. That's why they've had this twenty year yeah. career which is it seems to me like what you're building whether by intention or not
0: no no it is by intention because what happened was is that i moved to new york to become a comedian and right out of college and i had been uh, working the door at the washington dc improv for a few years before that a lot of this is uh, kind of covered in uh my movie sleepwalk with me but it's uh well you're a bartender there I, yeah i was a bartender in that version but um but anyway, I was performing in a lot of shows that were like, tonight, comedy, in a real general sense. And I found it to be, the, I found myself to be a huge disappointment to audiences. Like, really, people would come to see, like, you know, comedy, and there would be four or five comics, and most of the audience would be like, I don't like that guy. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> and, but, then, but then, like, three out of the hundred people in the crowd would be like, I like that guy. That's my guy. And then over the years, it's all about kind of getting in touch with those three out of 100 and saying, hey, guys, if you want to see more of what I'm doing, come over here. And then like you're saying with the Blues Traveler thing, like 100 becomes 500 becomes 1,000. And, and 1, you 000. were
1: aware of – you were consciously aware of building that in some way?
0: Yeah. I, I think I was because what, what happened was is it was so discouraging to play for audiences that didn't like me that I was like, well, I got to figure out how to get those people who – who like me to be the whole audience.
1: Well, yeah, I, I have this question written down, actually, to, to ask you, which is that, uh, and, I, and I figured it must have been, in in some way, a, d- a series of decisions that you made, but um, comedian f- friends of mine, the, the hardest thing for a comedian to track or understand is if they're, even when they're killing, yeah. how to make that audience their audience. Sure, yeah. Exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's so hard to, for that because what comedians do is so ephemeral in a way
0: yeah like i go to the comedy seller sometimes um actually i'll i spend a lot of time with your friend gary who's there a bit sure yeah. um and i actually go there process wise to see how my m- new material is doing with everybody people Without who people aren't who there aren't. to see me i like i go there to not to bomb but to just kind of experience it the way that Some like to basically experience the live action version of people watching TV flipping the channels.
1: That's really a smart strategy. I mean, you're trying to stress test it in a way. Yeah. So that you're giving people who
0: who are not really going to like it necessarily.
1: Yeah. You're giving, you're not just uh, relying on the fact that uh, that your people will come out to see you play your hits or or the new uh, iteration of what you do. Right. You want to make sure that you're actually bringing something really good to that. Yeah,
0: because at, in the best case scenario, my shows play like an inside joke. Like when I go to Cincinnati or San Francisco, it's like my people, they like To Drink Mike, Secret Republic Journal Live, Sleepwalk with me, my girlfriend's boyfriend. We're all on the same page. I can almost pick up where we left off story wise, and they know the backstory.
1: I was thinking about that. You know, I saw Sleepwalk a long time when it first came yeah. out. But I remember, and I was thinking about it walking here today. And I was thinking about this idea of – I somehow it's a good mind meld already because I was thinking about the way in which you trust your audience. Which is interesting because, you know, the character that you write for, isn't that – like uh, gets burned by trusting sometimes? I mean, <laughs> true. The, the, when you're telling your stories, like, like you know, the performer point, yeah. and then the character you're talking about <laughs> yeah, are different yeah. people, actually. True, yeah. Uh, I've noticed in a bunch of different ways. but um, But the moment that you jump on the bed – after
0: <laughs> in sleepwalk.
1: box yeah, and and people should really see this film. It's a, a, a for my money, it's cheap. It's on Netflix, so it's, I mean, it's free. It's, it's, right? It feels free, <laughs> even though you're paying something monthly, but it feels free. Yeah, um, I don't know how are you spending those Netflix royalties, by the way. I must. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you? Oh, you God. must buy coasters for the apartment your you can't house. Can't even go
0: into the economics of film, the dower economics of film. No,
1: but but um, what's great is that in in most movies. I don't think I'm giving, going to give anything away. If you haven't seen this movie, it's about a whole bunch of different stuff, but but one of the things that it's about is you realizing who you need to be mm-hmm. and who you are, right? This character. Mm-hmm. Not named, named Matt. Matt Pendimiglio. And um, very, very far away from... <laughs> Mike <laughs> Pendimiglio, like, yes. No, but uh, uh, you, you, when you show yourself first falling in love with your girlfriend, you guys, the way you show it is you talk about how happy you are by jumping on this bed. Yeah. And then... Uh, you get to finally play a paid gig, your first paid gig. You don't even say it's my first paid gig. Yeah. And you look at the check. Yeah. And it's a horrible gig, right? Yeah, yeah, horrible.
0: I'm like hosting a lip sync contest. Yeah.
1: And is it a populist? I was going
0: to say, is it a populist? It's terrible. Lip sync no, contest. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible.
1: And you don't, I, you don't really. I remember you don't. Kill. I don't
0: do well now. Nothing about it, it goes well. Other than I get to stay at a motel. That, you're a that pro- sucks.
1: But you're a professional, right? <laughs> yeah. You get paid.
0: The, she gives meager- me the check, we do a, we do sort of a, a close up on the check, which is like a hundred dollars or whatever it is.
1: And and then so happy. Yeah, and you, you just see on your face you smile your you, your your eyes light up, and then alone in this really bad motel, you jump on the bed. <laughs> yeah. But you do the <laughs> whole thing without comment, without saying this is my, like, this is what I love. Yeah. Where you trust, and, and you know, most movies, most Hollywood movies, they wouldn't, they wouldn't trust the audience to take the leap that this is what this person's supposed to do. And you, you did trust your audience.
0: Yeah, we were able to because we didn't have a studio that backed the movie. That That's why we were able to. I mean, we... We took so many chances with that movie that that you would have people over your shoulder at a studio. I think I, in my experiences with studios and
1: networks going you got to explain that, you got to explain that. you got to explain that and it's yeah it's fun to it's fun to trust your audience. Yeah, and I get that from what you're saying about building this community of people that you you kind of knew that the signifiers amongst us are locked in in a way yeah uh, which must give you a tremendous amount of, uh, of creative freedom. It's a
0: lot of creative freedom, but then it's a lot of resp- <laughs> with with uh, freedom becomes responsibility. The I have to get people out to my shows like I have to basically on Twitter and Facebook, like convince people like you guys, this is a new show. This is the you know, come out um, and tell your friends because otherwise no one will come. You, That's sort of my battle cry to people all the time. It's like but, it's up to you guys and me to get us there for there to even be a show. Oh, well, you're saying that
1: the audience has a responsibility <laughs> in a way, yeah. That, that with your trust, you're giving them, mm-hmm. they have a responsibility to keep this. Uh, so you're like a TV evangelist, essentially. In a way, yeah. If they and, love you, they have to send the prayer cloth, and I and they know they know if they've come to a live
0: show before that I leave it out, out all on the floor to put it in sports terms, since we're in a sports uh, studio right here. I do, and I really do. I mean, oh, you saw me live. You came down to Cherry Lane. I put, I give it everything. I give the audience everything I have.
1: No question about it. Uh, that show was, uh, th- I mean, that show was, um, I was talking about it for for minutes afterwards. I was talking about it for, <laughs> I was talking about it for weeks afterwards. Okay. Um, and I've told, uh, I did, um, you know how magicians talk about tipping a joke to somebody sure, before yeah. it's time? I did tip on Adam and Drew's podcast a tiny bit, your lateness thing. Oh, wow. I credited you. I mean, oh, that's it's all nice. I say. It's that's Mike nice. Raviglia's yeah. thing and you got to go see Mike Raviglia, but I was on Corolla and Drew. Yeah, I love was, those guys. They're great. And they love you too, but we were making a point about being late because I was really early to do their show yeah, and, yeah. and Adam walked in late and he hates being late and he yeah. didn't know there was a guest, which is why he he was late. So he was furious at his guys. And I, I talked about the thing you did. Uh, which you don't like lateness very much. Drives me crazy. Why? Because it's,
0: I, I tell a bunch of jokes about it in this new show, um, but I would say the essence of it comes down to, it's basically like saying, because late people have a lot of excuses, and, but what we really want, on-time people want, just want the truth. And the truth is, late people are basically saying, my life is more important than your life. Your life is like an episode of my life,
1: and my <laughs> life's a hit. <laughs> Right. And your life is there. <laughs> no, and I, I thought that was great and a really like um, interesting way to create this feeling of community. I mean, I thought of it as a as a strategy to sort of welcome everybody who was there on time. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It was a great way to welcome everyone. Now, this new show, and this is the one you're going to be doing in San Thank Francisco. Thank God for jokes, yeah. No, not San Francisco. Um,
0: BAM. Oh, BAM, here. Opera oh, yeah. House here in Brooklyn. Um, Chicago Theater, which is crazy. Have you ever been there? No, gorgeous. I've been to BAM. Oh. so BAM, Chicago, but like 36 cities this fall. Seattle for New Year's.
1: It's and, a whole. And bunch. this is still no. working the new show.
0: Yeah, new show. Nine cities in California, five cities in Florida. It's like a vast, This is a this year is I'm doing 100 cities. So it's the, it's the biggest tour I've ever done.
1: And yet, part of you still thinks nobody knows who you are. That's correct. What's that about?
0: <laughs> what's, what's that? What that's about is that in those towns, I'm telling you, you know, I'll play a the Chicago theater, I'll play to you know, three thousand people in Chicago, and those people will tell their
1: friends that they're going to see me, and those, their friends won't know who yeah. they're talking about. Yeah, but what kind of uh, world domination do you need to
0: not- <laughs> No, I'm happy. I'm oh. thr- I'm thrilled with the whole thing. To be honest with you, it's you know, as a writer, you probably love your anonymity, right? Because you get to observe the world. Uh, Yeah, I mean... You're, for the most part, anonymity, and a lot of people know who you are if they know who you are, which is similar, but, like, anonymity, I think, is one of the best things you can have as a writer, because you want to just be observing, writing, taking notes, watching it all, taking it all in, in an unfettered way. That's why it kind of drives me crazy when people ask to take photos and stuff like that, because it's become so time-consuming... But that, that be, if that becomes your life, you're just not going to be funny anymore.
1: Plus, the pictures steal your soul. <laughs> and photos steal your soul. So that's <laughs> the other, and that's, that's the, the reason back. not to do yeah, it. Yeah. It's a minor, uh, a minor thing. But but do you do? I mean, after your shows, do you do it? Do you shake hands? And I take shake pictures? hands
0: and I sign stuff, but I don't take photos anymore because I I always say to people, I'm like, it, you. I used to take tons of photos after shows back when it was a novelty to have a camera. When people would be like, I have a camera and you'd be like, You have a what? You know, and, and but now it's just like every single person has a camera, so it's like it's like you're gonna take a photo of two thousand people, it's gonna be like five hours later, and then what do, what do we get from it? We're documenting an experience that we
1: didn't even have. I guess you're finding other ways. Yeah, that that makes sense. I guess you're you're also but, finding other ways. To make your people feel connected to you because'll email will tweet back to and people. I'll sign
0: stuff I sit at a table and sign stuff and I'll, kind of like sedaris Sid- does this too David Sedaris when he tours he'll sign as long as people come um uh, he'll he'll talk to them too I mean like I'll talk to people kind of forever I like talking to people I like talking to my fans I just, so, they're, they're they're I like them as
1: people, but there's something about the the the, the photograph the souvenir aspect of it to yeah, you. I don't
0: like it. It feels tacky. They're not. They're not good photographs. R- well, that, that drives me crazy. You're blaming the photographer. <laughs> well, the photographers are terrible. The cameras what? are terrible. The, a lot of times they don't know how to use their cameras. They asking mad- you. Well, that's
1: maddening. Too. Can you take
0: a photo with me? Sure. Do you know how this works? Yeah. No. I. This is yours. It's not the iPhone
1: one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, right? It's not it's like. It's true. Hey, where do I? No, that's true. Now, what about in an airport or something? Will you, a kid comes up to you in an airport. Yeah, I'll
0: probably do that. Like, if it's a one-off thing. A sick kid,
1: yes. <laughs> probably with a kid. A sick kid, for Probably sure. with a kid.
0: Sick kid, maybe. I wrote this joke, actually. Yeah. That I, I don't... Is, this is an example of a joke that's not going to make it into the show, but I think it's funny. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> which, is that, uh, which is that a kid came up to me. It's a true story. A kid came up to me uh, before a show. This dad emailed me. Kid has cancer. Um, can he meet you? He's a big fan. Et cetera. Absolutely. He comes back before the show. I talked to him for a while. And I have a whole bit on Sleepwalk With Me, live the album, about I had a bladder tumor when I was 19. And I it went. Uh, it got, they took it out. It didn't recur. Every few years I go for a cystoscopy, etc. And it's a funny bit. And, and, he, and the kid said to me, um, he was like, that joke makes me feel like I can laugh about my condition and um and that was a really special moment and he and i have lost touch but the point of the story is that,
1: that's,
0: that's, and that's all it's for he and i have lost right. touch but the point Good. of the story i thought but you were gonna say he
1: said you said to him what's your condition and he said brain tumor and you said oh then forget it <laughs> well i need to get specific with these conditions
0: no but, uh, but it's sort uh, of a fun throwaway joke but it's not oh, it doesn't oh, fit in
1: the show no that's uh, excellent and uh, if you want us to think it's just a uh, joke that's No, it's true. No, um, but uh, I'm sure of those people. The thing is, I, I watch you connecting online, and actually I think that it's clear that you care a lot about these people, and it's clear at the shows that you care a lot about these people because you have crafted and created an identity very close to who you are. Sure. I think that's accurate. Um, and you let people in by talking about your family true. in a very sort of direct, non-jokey non-jokey way. Was that hard to do? Did you start doing that from the beginning? I mean comedians no, do that, sure. but you do it in a different way. No,
0: I think I think when I was starting out I was I was uh attempting a persona like all comics do. I think when they're starting out, your influences for me it was like Mitch Hedberg and Stephen Wright and Bill Cosby and all these people infiltrate who you are and you're just doing you're essentially doing an imitation of them with your writing. And for me, it was very Mitch Hedbergy, like, early on, because when I was in college, my sister Gina sent me a, a VHS cassette of Mitch Hedberg's first half-hour special, and
1: I watched it, like, on a loop. The, the, my, my son and I, he's 18, we... Yeah, I met him. He's great. We still, thanks. We still, from the moment we first heard it together, it might have been our first... Our very first joke we had together might have been Dimitri's swimming joke, but I think right after that... Is just, and we say it all the time to each other, the club is formed. Oh, yeah. I mean, we say the club is formed about everything. Is that the club sandwich? Jack? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You like, frilly st- you, you like frilly sticks? Yeah, the club is formed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah. did that on Letterman. That was an amazing set. Yeah. We, I mean, Hedberg was just. Uh, he was unlike anyone in history of
0: comedy, I think.
1: I mean, there were one or two guys now who sound a lot like him, but you're not allowed to say that. I know. If you say it's, a it. Secret. It, it's a secret. It's a secret within comedy everybody that everybody knows,
0: knows
1: <laughs> and very funny, by the
0: way. Good comics, good clones, good. Whoa, even even head all the way to clones. Even Hedberg clones are good. Wow, that's so insane.
1: <laughs> and if that those people are listening, they're upset now. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say it. And we like you guys a lot. I yes, for sure, yeah. I do. Um. I by the way, just you know, I did introduce you before you got in here, so oh, okay, people might cool. not know. I gave a whole thing about who, who you are. Um. And oh, and about that anonymity thing, I will, I will say, because uh, when you asked, yes, that being able to be sort of distanced and detached and not seen all the time is great. But one thing that I think it'd be a lie to say that uh, that part of what we want, I think, uh, people who are creators of um, of stuff from writers, we are trying to find a way to communicate with a big group for sure what we care about absolutely but but the other part of it is and i know you you do this too is i'm gonna say for for me i wanted to have a right to enter the conversation like the cultural conversation yeah that makes sense and i that so that was part of like so for me part of it was i want to be able to talk to artists who i think are great yeah and i want to have some standing in that conversation Yeah, yeah that makes sense so that's the only sort of, like, difference between me and, like, some very pure, you know, uh, George Saunders or something who's up in Syracuse writing these incredible n- yeah. novels and is, I believe, happy to only be seen by the people he's teaching yeah. and when he occasionally gives a commencement speech. Like, um, I want to know what makes you tick, and I want to be able to have a way to get into that conversation.
0: Well, it's funny because you came over—I'm not going to say the name of the movie or the anything about the movie script, but I had an informal reading of a screenplay I wrote— recently that you came to and um i was like gl- so glad to be there it was really really fun we had a bunch of great actors and it was a ton of fun but um you gave some really astounding notes and uh, i was talking to michael weber who's another screenwriter who wrote Our stars and spectacular yeah, yeah. now b- a bunch of stuff great guy oh yeah great guy did you know him before b- before that night yes. yeah you did okay and i was talking to him on the phone the other day and i was saying i brian had this great note and he said blah 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 the character should do this instead of the character this thing happening to the character and i and i'm going to implement that and and uh and and brian era uh, and uh michael goes uh and that's why he's been writing screenplays for 20 years successfully you know like he was a real
1: nice that was nice thing. It uh, is it was really nice coming here well i was going to say this um first of all that movie's going to be excellent oh thanks um, and I did think that you mentioned The seller before, and this ties into something I'd, I'd written down to talk about, which is I, at your house there were these um, great actors. Yeah. Um, well-known people who are like improvers, uh, Saturday Night Live people, cultural figures, directors. There weren't a lot of standups. There.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> I mean, Jesse was the only person. I who's didn't been see.
0: A, I didn't see the end of that sentence coming. That is true, though. Je- I mean, Jesse Klein, Jessie Klein was is there, a yeah.
1: wonderful standup. Oh my god, she's the best. But she wasn't there for that. She was there because she's, she's a great actress, a, and, and she's in Sleepwalk with Me, and and, and is a um, screenwriter, screenwriter and, her screenwriter own writer, and yeah. runs a TV show. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember on Marin's show a couple years ago, you you talked about how uncomfortable the seller used to be. <laughs> still does. So, <laughs> in a way like yeah do you feel somehow judged by the stand-ups do you like uh, wh- you know what what's your is? relationship to that you know what it is i
0: i love stand-up comedy i love comedians um improv which is what i i came up in in college and when i moved to new york i had an improv group from from my college that called little man at ucb theater we had a regular show um and now I have a show at UCB Theater pre- semi regularly with some of those people like Vanessa Bay or Eddie Bryan, Tammy Sage or Chris Gathered, um, called Mike Birbiglia's Dream, and it's uh, like every few Wednesdays or so. And uh, improvisers are very yes and uh, they're very cool. They're positive. They're upbeat. They're collaborative. They're uber
1: collaborative. They're uber uber giving. People and um, before Uber was a car service, it meant something else <laughs> <laughs> just for the young listeners. They're uh, very, very they're uh, they're extremely expensive uh, yeah. car yeah.
0: service giving, but, um, rides yeah, <laughs> no, uh, to yeah. exactly. No, so anyway, I improvisers I find to be better collaborators than stand ups, um, but R- but I love I love stand ups. Yeah, do you think they love you? <laughs> I
1: don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> No, that's like. Do you, I, I, where do you think you fit? Like, where do you think you fit on this? You know, uh, like I know Cosby is, and those the names of the people you just said, but it seems to me like there's another tradition in which you're really working. You know, it's a a storytelling tradition. Even Cosby, who tells stories, and I think he's you can make the argument he's the greatest. Comedian who ever lived, it's yeah, one of the top. I think Chris Rock made that point five. recently. Yeah, Rock made that point recently.
0: Oh, he did. Yeah, at the American Comedy Awards, he gave a speech about Cosby, presented him with his lifetime achievement. I he says he's that. the best. He's the best that there was, ever is.
1: I mean, yeah, there's that great moment. Was. in comedian when Jerry goes to see, you know, when comedian when oh, Jerry goes yeah. to see Cosby, for sure, and you just realize, oh yeah, Cosby is the man. But but Cosby's, well, I one never get the sense after the initial stories about Philadelphia and growing up uh, that Cosby was telling the truth. And you no. make it a big point. <laughs> that's very good. It's a very astute point about Cosby. Or yeah, you know, you never think he's t- but your you make it a point that you're basically telling you're making you're making things funnier but you're relaying what you see uh, as truths.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I definitely in Sleepwalk with me say this is true. That's the opening line of it. And a lot of times people say, Was that true? And I'll say yeah, and they'll say, Was it? And then I'm I don't know what to do. I guess I could say it louder, like, Yeah. But even like, on stage you say
1: it all the time. This is a true story. It's this really true. happened. Yeah, it's true. It, it, yeah. You, you loop back to that. Yeah. And I know it's not all narratively exact Right,
0: <laughs> 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 right, right. I fudge I fudge out Factual. chronology.
1: But. Sure. Um but how did that how did that kind of develop? You started talking about how the first the, your persona was this crafted thing. But then what how did you become trust that you could become this kind of very personal storyteller and take people with you?
0: It was a series of of uh, of incidents. You know, one was meeting the director of uh, my one man show, Seth Barish, who's a, a established theater director. Um, he was at the reading.
1: And he, he helped on other... Yeah,
0: yeah. He co-directed Sleepwalk With Me. He, you know, he's 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 been involved with all my projects for like the last eight or nine years. Uh, the other was starting to work with The Moth, which is a storytelling series and podcast. Um, the other was starting to work with Ira Glass and This American Life. Um, there were a lot of things, you know, another was like Nathan Lane, like endorsing my show, Sleepwalk With Me, and saying that he would present the show... With essentially no strings attached like he wasn't fiscally right. tied into it he was just like take my blessing say nathan lane presents and there was a few things like that where along the way i was like you know what i'm just gonna keep going for it in this direction of creating something that's a meld of theater and and storytelling and stand-up comedy
1: because like I, did you feel like when you started to, to string these things together into a longer narrative form did you have the sense that you'd found your like your purpose in a way, did, yeah. Could you sense it was different? For sure,
0: yeah. When um, did that start happening? The first few times, like I told a story, like in 2003, like 11 years ago, I told my first moth story. It was at Aspen Comedy Festival, which is now defunct, but U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, and it was this story from my girlfriend's boyfriend where I talk about having a girlfriend and if people want to hear the full thing it's on netflix the special is called mike perbiglia my girlfriend's boyfriend um but i talk about having his first girlfriend in high school and and, and the the hangup of the being that she wouldn't admit that i was her girlfriend she told me it was a secret and it's really pride swallowing i have to say like when i tell it now it rolls off the tongue it's fun it's got tons of comedic beats first time i told it I'd never told it to anybody. <laughs> right. It was so embarrassing to tell a group of strangers, like, "You guys, here's the truth." The first time I had a girlfriend, she told me not to tell anyone she was my girlfriend, because she had another boyfriend, <laughs> and it got worse and worse and worse and worse until I met her parents, and then I met her other boyfriend, who didn't know I was her boyfriend, also, and and it was so embarrassing that I was quivering on stage as Actually, you were telling. Yeah, the story I still for the, have the audio the of it. Yeah, I still have the audio. I'm quivering telling it because I'm so ashamed and embarrassed. And then, but something happened in that show where I was like, Oh, something is happening between me and the audience where I've never experienced in, in life or in on stage in standup, which is that the audience and I are having a conversation. That's like a conversation that you'd have at three in the morning with your best friends Y- you know or ordering, a diner, ordering a, a diner yeah in a, di- a diner conversation or like ordering a pizza uh, you know at uh, a sleepover or something, and like in it I felt like, oh my God, I can tell this stuff to strangers. this is crazy,
1: and right. then, so and, it did
0: get like the thing happened, yeah, so then I was like craving that like oh if I can tell if I could make that as funny as other
1: stand up, then I'm doing both things, and where were you as a stand up at that point? had you started to build an audience? I think so. I mean, I had, you done, I had you just pe- done Letterman. That first Letterman where you said your name a lot? Yeah. i just done Letterman like two months before. Which is where I first... That's when I became that's uh, crazy. a fan of Mike Probiglia. And I told you I tried to reach out to you. <laughs> that's but I, hilarious. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, somehow. Yeah. I remember I, we had this assistant, Dave and I, and uh, maybe she had seen it and said, like, there's this, you got to watch this. And we watched it and thought you were hilarious. And then heard there was an audio a record where you said mm-hmm. did that same honk and I heard that on on <laughs> serious comedy or whatever. Sure. And, you okay? Yeah. All right, have a drink of water. Uh, That's why it's there. And uh, and then I tried to reach you to say like, oh, we should meet this guy because maybe we movies and then it was somehow we couldn't find hmm. you. But, so you had done that Letterman thing and then people started to come out to see you. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. There's this guy, uh, this, I, I think this is a very rare thing that happens. There's this, Agent who's still my agent today, this guy Mike Berkowitz, and he now books <laughs> now books like Louis, Aziz, Kevin Hart, like he
1: Bill Burr, like he's he, your performance agent. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. He's kind of he books the who's who of of right. concert comedians now. But I was his first client. He and I are the same age. That's awesome. And so we had this moment in time where like I did Letterman. He came out and saw me. We were like, let's let's try and make this work, and he. You know, he cold called for me to comedy clubs across the country and said, Mike's a headliner, which was a real stab in the dark because I really wasn't.
1: And so you just went out and started headlining, headline? Yeah. And did you have, did you feel like you had the material to go do that? I had a
0: very light hour <laughs> you know what i mean like i had a very light headlining set it was very questionable as to whether or not i deserved to be headlining comedy clubs which is why actually you allude back to what you're saying earlier do comedians like you yeah there was a period of time where i dif- distinctly feel like comedians did not like me because i was
1: headlining comedy clubs and i did letterman when i was 24 so it's like, like so that, that you, doesn't you, make you, f- you a lot of friends where you felt like because you know you hear you feel it now i feel it now about michael Che. I don't know, Michael. I know, I hate that. I always try to disparage that because he's such a good guy. He's, he's such a good comic. I've, I'm, I'm, and some of the younger, like Dan Soder has told me, Dan Soder loves Michael Che, thinks he's, and he recognized him a year and a half oh, ago. Yeah. Two years ago, Soder was like, this guy's the funniest Oh, me guy. too. I recognized he, him two years Soder ago, said, too, yeah. And, and Soder's the ultimate purist of comedy. Yeah, comic, love you know, Dan. Obviously, he's becoming very successful on yeah. his own. Yeah, he and I used to do open mics together. I love that guy. But Soder... Would say this thing about Che, and then as Che started to become explode, he never wavered from it. But like you could just feel the blowback. Oh from yeah. Oh, there are comedians like, hey, why is this guy headlining? Why is he getting yeah. my spots? The seller. No, I know. He to say, like, well, because the world is like, um, you know, the world is recognizing him. He's getting on. T- sure. And so I can picture you being twenty four, and the fact that you worked clean back then, and were yeah. such a, you know, yeah, you were, was of a nice person.
0: Sure. Which I still am
1: <laughs> <laughs> presenting.
0: No, no, I still am nice. I yeah, think. you're
1: clearly a nice person. I mean, yeah, you couldn't have the people around you if you weren't a nice person. I see the way your friends look at you. I, it's obvious you're a nice oh, that's guy. Nice. But but and it's obvious you take pains to like be uh, real, with pe- real with people. Real um, with people. Because odd, but people reveal themselves on social media. I, you can tell if someone's, I find people reveal themselves. That's really interesting. Never thought about it that way. Because you're on there so much that it's. You'll have bad, moment. like,
0: have <laughs> bad so moments. Like, have
1: bad moments. That's
0: so true. I'm completely tell. addicted to Twitter. That is, like, the worst addiction. Yeah, you and I uh, both
1: are on Twitter too much, probably.
0: Big time. Your your vines are incredible, by the
1: way. Oh, thank but you. But they know, the people listening yeah, already you know, to, know that. Yeah, well, I don't have to plug your vines. You don't have to plug the vines. But, um, <laughs> hey, if anyone wants to see it yeah. on, on Vine. But, um, but, but the reason I asked the reason is... But the Michael Che thing. How, yeah, well, the Michael Che thing and... and you know, I wonder what it felt like to you because when I, I thought about what you said on, M- on Marin's show about how uncomfortable you felt at the seller. Oh yeah, and, Mar- and Marin
0: hated me
1: at the time. Sure, because you were young and successful. Yeah, yeah. And did you? And then you got to put him in your movie, which must have felt great to you in a way. Yeah, but
0: then I, I ran into him at Montreal Comedy Festival a few weeks ago, and and I was like, he was like, hey man, he's like, give me a hug. I was like. Wait, but you like attacked me on Twitter the other day. Like, what are you? And he's like, "Yeah, Twitter's crazy." I'm like, "No, it's real. <laughs> you can't just attack people and then think it's okay." Wait, what do you mean he attacked you? He wrote some kind of thing, like, you know, I wrote a tweet about something, and uh, I think maybe Michaeline Black wrote back or something and oh. replied, and then and then Mark wrote something to me that was like some weird burn of like. Yeah, I don't know if that qualifies for your cutesy bullshit. Or you know what I mean? Like it was some mean, mean thing. And it's like, well, we weren't bantering, Mark. Like you just came into this and like attacked me.
1: He, and, yeah, I, I, I'm, but I
0: love, Mark. I, I love Mark. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan of his podcast. Oh, I, I am stand-up. too.
1: I guess he's the new Johnny Carson because you can't say anything bad about him, but then then saying how much you like him it's true i mean it must be like oh no of course we love him i don't like him as a person no there you go <laughs> but i love his i love his comedy and his pocket there you go <laughs> no but i ha- uh I, i'm i too am fascinated by Marx, and i i'm i do really like him and i'm i've had him in here and we had this long talk about all this i am fascinated by his sort of like uh and i'm, I'm gonna go on his show soon i'm definitely gonna ask about this even though it's his show but i'm um, Fascinated by his own um refusal to accept that he's in a different place now. Yeah. That it's not him against the world anymore. I know. Th- that he's like the king in a way. Yeah, I know. Of a bunch of deciding of a like curating what matters in the world of comedy. It
0: was weird. I was listening to his interview with Claire Danes the other day and she was like, I love the show, blah blah blah. And it's like Well, what, Mark, what are you gonna do now? Claire Danes loves you.
1: Yeah, you got to. It's like, OK, <laughs> Mark, you've, you've won. Yeah. And he had, you know, and he has and deserves it. I mean, I would not be doing a podcast if it weren't for Mark Maron. Yeah,
0: a lot of people that for, for a lot of people, that's true. Pete and, Holmes,
1: Pete Holmes as well. And I love doing it. And I love being able to have these conversations. And, and Mark definitely like um, blazed the trail and showed people what's possible. But there you are just sitting there on Twitter trying to like do your thing. Yeah, yeah. And then like a cannon comes across. Yeah. <laughs> The thing, and I can imagine it felt like, oh, geez, I thought we were, I thought we got so we past were friends. All this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also, he and Michael Ian, it seems. Isn't that where the problem yeah, they, is? Yeah,
0: they go after each other all the time. That feels
1: very real, even though they joke about it. and It feels like maybe there's real animus. There. <laughs> it feels like there's something there. Right. Um, but now, when you walk in the cellar, when I walk in
0: the cellar now, it's fine. It's a different group of people. You know, it, it, it's a different time. Like I used to, you know, when I came up, it was like Patrice O'Neill... Uh, you know some people who passed away now, like Patrice O'Neal, Greg Geraldo, was Colin Quinn in a different phase of Colin Quinn. It was like, um, you know, Nick DiPaolo. It was like it was the tough crowd, Haiti. crowd. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was the tough, cra- the tough crowd with Colin Quinn was on at the time. Yeah. And that was when I moved to New York. That was the be all end all of comedy. Norton and. But it was like a different Norton. I feel like is like he's, he, the, they were all t- like their toughest versions of themselves, right? And and I didn't fit that at all. And so you just felt like an outsider. Yeah. So they would just come after me. I would just be Spider from Goodfellas, <laughs> <Right>. essentially.
1: <laughs> and Mike, yeah. And how do you feel? Uh, now you're saying you feel fine.
0: Yeah, it's fine. Like it's kind of neither here nor there. Like it's it's a new group of people.
1: And do you care about sitting at the table? Does it matter to you? Do you do it or do you no, do anything No, it
0: doesn't matter to me. I mean, it's nice when I have a nice conversation with like Gary, for example. Well, I'll have Gullman's nice conversations. He's got
1: to talk. To yeah, her. he's smart pheno-
0: and hilarious. He's phenomenal. And and uh, yeah, no, I I like you know, and I like SD a lot, and I like Gnome. I mean, I like I like being there,
1: um, but it's really more just to work on material. That's what the focus is. Right, not being, because that club already told you in some way. <laughs> exactly. No, right? That, like, so then you went out and kind of did it on your own. I mean, you just did it outside of that system. Yeah. So what can you get from it except, like, kind of utility in a way? Like, the romance of that.
0: Yeah. It's not romantic to you, Yeah, right? and it's also, like, I'm, yeah, it's not romantic and it's not, like, I don't know. It. I, I don't do, I'm not, I don't have the same end in mind as the people who are there. So, like, a lot of people who are there, I think in their minds are like, well, maybe someday I'll get a sitcom or a TV show. And, like, I don't want to have a TV show. Not not that anyone's clamoring to give me a TV show, but it's not what I want anyway.
1: Uh, Especially because you're a very, very good actor. Oh, thanks. And I don't, I mean, I'm not in the compliments game on this thing. <laughs> but, I mean, you, I was watching the other night when you did this reading, and you're, a, you, uh, and I wonder if it's all the storytelling and playing these characters and playing yourself in these stories— you were just an incredibly natural and comfortable actor. Is, it, is that a part of the thing that you, you enjoy doing? Oh, I love it. I love acting. I've been doing a lot of acting recently. And, yeah, no, you're really in the John uh, Green movie. Oh, Excellent. thanks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this summer I've, I've done like four or five roles in things. Like I was in Jed Habitow's movie and, and I've been doing some guest stuff on a TV series. Um, but like... It's fun. Like I've been ta- I've been saying yes to a lot of stuff because I find as a film director and you know I know a lot of writers listen to this and and directors I think in, in actors I think it's a good idea to
1: kind of say yes to everything to learn everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've acted in like four or five movies over the last couple of years, too, and yeah. it's like, invaluable. It's invaluable it. because you. one of the things is. Uh, not for the audience, sadly, when I do it. But to me, right, it's you learn, and in, 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 it's not something that can be taught. It's like the Buddha's kiss in Siddhartha. It's knowledge you can only get by doing.
0: Yeah, it's this, it's this amazing gift to be able to act because you learn A, what helps directors um b you learn like as a writer what's a gift to the actor because you're you, as a writer you should always be trying to give gifts to the actor that they can kind of run with things and then it also teaches you what actors bitch about to each other about the director yeah about which all is of so it. much stuff
1: and and I think all, all, for me anyway the the idea of having to relax and give up and cede a certain kind of control mm-hmm. and just be able to control the piece of it that you can. That's right. But to cede control is like, because um, it's what you're asking collaborators to do. It's a kind of, th- this trust that you're trying to engage in yeah. as a filmmaker, when you can see it from the other side, it it just really helps. Plus, it's really fun. To do. I mean, Yeah, is fun. It's
0: super fun. That's why I do my show, at U- improv show at UCB. I mean, it's like, it's just fun to play around. I mean, being actor, being an actor is like channeling your ch- inner child.
1: No, I'm. I, I've said this before on the show, but I mean, I'm so lucky that I didn't love acting like just this much more. Yeah, because my life would have been horrible. <laughs> I Would ruin my whole it's life. So hard to be an it. actor. I love doing it, but yeah. I'm so fine not doing. It. Like I, I yeah. never something I've ever stayed up at night. Well, I the unfortunate I'd thing about
0: it. actors is that they're so reliant on the the writers and directors to take an interest in them, and sometimes that doesn't
1: happen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's really, well, mostly, usually it doesn't happen most of the time. Yeah. Well, this is, so there's this great line that that you wrote and what freaked me out about this line is it's something that I've said to my uh, shrink Mm -hmm. um, as a, and you know, an atheist Jewish New Yorker, I have a shrink that (laughs) give you you both cards, the atheist card and the Jew card, the DMV at the, you get the thing. No, but I've said this many times to him, which is that, um, and then I saw it in your movie, so I was wondering how you've been listening <laughs> to the sessions. To your therapy. But it's that um, that to be, you said to comedian, but I always say it about being any kind of an any artist. Any kind of
0: artist, yeah. Which
1: is that to be that, you have to be a little bit delusional. You do. And I, well, the thing I always say to him, because people, when people come up to me or they ask how to do this, and, and sometimes my peers will say to me, like, why are you encouraging them? But I mean, I know I was them right up until the moment I was right. I was, a delusional, I, I was a delusional, crazy person. I know. And so how do you think about it? How did you figure out, and especially for a smart person, it's harder in a weird way because you know, the uh, some part of you understands that you might be wrong. Oh, yeah.
0: I have that with all these acting parts. Like, I have this thing where I came back from shooting a, a scene in Judd Apatow's movie where...
1: Schumer, as a writer Amy I have to say Sh- Amy, yeah. Schumer's movie. Amy
0: Schumer's movie yeah that she wrote and starred in um I had the scene where it's so insane what I do it's like this I don't want to give anything away but it's this really kind of homoerotic like almost like pornish kind of scene with a bunch of dudes like who are get obsessed with sports and nice. and I came home to my wife and I just go so something happened today that is either the funniest thing I've ever done on film or... I will be apologizing for for the rest of my life. <laughs> awesome, and and that and you you I feel like you have to keep taking those risks as an actor, as a writer, as a director. Like you have to, and it's the delusion thing. It's like you have to convince yourself like hey, this is going well
1: when it might not be going well. Well, like I'm sure before you had that reading and you had all these fancy people in your oh
0: my god uh, house. Yeah.
1: Now once we started, you're great at presenting and being comfortable and saying like take shots. I mean, you're awesome. Sure, at it. you made everybody feel welcome and known. But having done that, like sitting through a table read for a, a writer is the worst experience. For me, it's oh, torture. It's so hard. Because all you hear are the clams. Oh, my god! I can just be Buddy Rich for a second. But all you yeah, hear yeah. Is the, are the clams, the horrible moments. Of course, moments. yeah. Um, I could hear all of those. Yeah, you're sitting there and you yeah. know, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, i nope. got to fix that. Yep. And you can almost never hear when it works. I'm literally... I have my book open, I have my, my my script open,
0: and I'm like crossing out sections of pages as people are speaking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but what? What was like? What was the moment? Because then you also say in the same kind of run and that thing that like you believe everybody has some kind of special skill or something.
0: Yeah, well, that's with falling similar to falling in love. Like in general, like I feel like you see you meet someone and you're like, oh, you have a secret special skill. And they're like, I know. So do you. And then, and then, uh, and then, you know, I forget what the exact language is in sleepwalk with me, but, but that's a little bit what falling in love is like. I feel like you're you're identifying something really special in someone, thing else, someone else that's sort of secret what, in a way.
1: What kept you going? Like, what did you recognize in yourself that made you think, I can keep doing this? I have to keep doing this.
0: It's so hard to say. I mean, it, I think I think it becomes a game of no turning back. So you're like you start doing an art form, writing, stand up, whatever it is, poetry, and you go, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna you think you're gonna be great in like a week. Yes. You're like, I've got it. And then you and then you sort of put yourself out there and you're like, Oh, I don't have it. And did you know that? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I yeah, I think so. Yeah. I I started when I was like nineteen. I did a funniest person on campus contest at Georgetown. And and I won, so I had that moment of like I got it, and then it won me the opportunity to go to the DC Improv, and I yeah. opened for Dave Chappelle. This is long before the Chappelle show or whatever, and then I, I bombed, and then I was like, Oh, I don't have it. But then I was like, Well, I've already come this far. I can't turn back. I'll be great. This is how this is the con, the self con of all art. I'm gonna be great in three months. Perfect. And then you're like. And then three months you're like, oh no, I'm not great, but I've been doing this for three months. I'm going to be great in six months. And then eventually the six months becomes a year, five years, and then 10 years. And then you're like, well,
1: I, this, is who, um, I this am. is who I am. Right. But for you, it was five. So it took from yeah. you saw 19 yeah. and then Letterman at 24. Yeah. So it was an intent. And then did it become immediately for you when you made at 19, when you did the thing and you won? Was it the most exciting thing in the world? It was. The thing you thought about all day it, long? It actually was. I, I, you over.
0: It was astonishing. It was, I it couldn't believe the euphoria I was experiencing. I was like, this is what I was meant and to do my did, whole life.
1: Did part of you, you know, I, I think about your work and the, you know, I, I don't think I've seen every single thing you've done, but I've seen most of it and I've thought about it. Um, you know, you have this, it seems to me like creatively, this interesting relationship. But uh, in the way you think about the group dynamic, whether it's like the family, the troop, the gang, and then the individuals need to express or thrive, mm-hmm. and and so how does that how does that manifest itself in in your in your actual sort of life? Like, did you ever did you ever feel like uh, separating myself out and becoming this thing and putting myself out front was like a selfish thing to do? Because a lot of artists feel like. They hear the voices trying to pull them back, and when you tell stories about your family, sometimes I wonder about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, when I moved to New York after college, you know, I say this in the show now, but it's like I was living on an air mattress in Queens. I, I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford a dresser for my clothes. So I just had piles of clothes uh, on the floor and. Uh, and I, I make the joke, when you're Love broke, it. everything's low to the ground. Yeah. You know, you roll off your air mattress, you cook noodles on a hot plate, one falls out of your mouth, you're like, eh, it's not too far. <laughs> the only way you could get lower is if you died. <laughs> and uh and it was um yeah, it was I mean, it was really hard because no one really believed in me. My brother Joe believed in me, and my sister Gina believed my 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 my, my siblings did, my sister Patty, my sister Gina. My sister Gina introduced me to comedy. She's the one who had sent me the Mitch Hedberg tape when I was in college. Right. She really kind of was a... She was a comedy nerd. She would go to Luna Lounge in the 90s, see Mark Maron, I'm Louis C.K., Sarah Silverman. She introduced me to that world when I was young. So when I was a teenager, what I thought was cool in comedy was stuff that hadn't broken That's yet. That's
1: awesome. Right, you were right on the inside, all the way on the
0: inside of it. Yeah. yeah. The alternative comedy scene. Exactly, before it became popular. And then... and then, um. And then my brother Joe really believed in me because he would co-write a lot of my stand-up with me. And he would, like, loan me money that was, he didn't even have. He didn't even have money, but he was working an advertising <laughs> job. He he got a line of credit for me to pay my rent. And it wasn't even – It was just he was just lending me credit.
1: And what did that make you feel – I mean, so did you feel like <laughs> – that's what I'm saying. Like Because, I mean, even this new thing you just wrote, and I won't, we won't give away any of it. Yeah. But – there's this tension between and I and I heard it in your the one man show too. That's tension between like being a good member of the group, sure, family, whatever absolutely. else, absolutely, and wanting to individuate, yeah, and thrive. And did did that tension exist within you? Do you think, or were you just like that? I'm going for it. Like your brother's doing that. Were you aware of the kind of responsibility of what you were taking on?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think i don 't know it's it's yeah i i 'm very, very close with my family and and I talk about this on i don't mind saying that. i I talk about on stage how when I moved to New York, my mom took me to lunch and she said, you know just don 't become one of those dirty comedians That was her her big thing and and she said, you know you don 't have to use those words to be funny, for example oprah's very funny and uh, I was like i don 't know if that's the best example uh that 's not really what i 'm trying to be i 'm not striving to be the queen of daytime but but that's um, you know that was a, that was a big hurdle for me was getting past that I'm very 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 close with my family and yet no one in the family viewed me as a comedian no one knew that comedy could be a career and so you're trying to explain to people that this is what you want to be your career but they don't even know what that is it's like saying you want to it's like saying you want to be Peter Pan or something
1: yeah so did you did you well because it's really interesting you said that about your mom saying that to you. And even on your website, it says you're a clean comedian. I know. I'm,
0: I got to take that down. No, no but it's an interesting ago.
1: tension of honoring what your family's values yeah. are. Yeah. But it's another thing I like trust in your audience. You, you never say I'm now refuting it, but but you do 10 of the dirtiest, not not dirty in terms of people. Are, it's not the aristocrats.
0: Yeah. But I, you, I, I have a joke in the new show that is more crass language-wise, than probably any joke that people will hear this
1: year. Yes. And uh, and I'm wondering if that was some kind of final break from whatever the constraints of your... Uh, whatever constraints you felt you owed your your family, yeah. if that was finally you lifting it and being like, I have to be an artist in full bloom, then you wouldn't say it in that, it is that. obnoxious no, way. No, it is that. I mean, you
0: know, because I, I feel like there's something... You know, I, I don't curse a lot on stage. My four albums, which, by the way, if people are listening to this thing and, and go, I want to get a sense of what this guy does, but I don't want to buy his albums. That's fine. Just go on Spotify. I have four albums, Mike berbiglia and uh, Two Drink Mike, My Secret Public Journal Live, Sleepwalk With Me, and My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. And But yeah, no, I don't curse on any of the albums. They're, they don't have the explicit lyrics label on them. But there is something I've found over the years to be disingenuous about that because a lot of the people I admire are Lenny Bruce and richard pryor and and people who George Carlin, people who curse a lot on stage and very yes. well. And so, for me to say like, I'm a clean comedian, I don't want I don't want to somehow make that important. I don't want to put importance on that because I don't really believe in that. I only am doing it out of respect to my family and out of respect for some audience members who, who just don't want that to be – you somehow, like –
1: the, the you know, cursing hurts their ears or something. But I get it because, like, someone said to me the other day, a really smart – Pendulet said the other day to me that he thinks Gilbert Gottfried is, like, uh, the Miles Davis of comedy. And, you know, I guess, you know, you don't want to be the Pat Boone. Like, nobody wants to be. Yeah. And you're not. Like, you're hip and you're, you're on it and you're telling subversive stories – and you're telling stories about cool and hip people and who they really are. And so to, to have this these handcuffs on you in a way, I thought it was so liberating to see you throw that oh, thanks. aside, but I, but I imagine it comes with something a little bit weighty for you to do that.
0: Yeah, and I performed, my, my mom and dad saw that show in Cape Cod a few weeks ago. And so that was, that was an interesting step for me. Well, what happened? They liked the show a lot. They they was they said it was their favorite of the shows I've done. They said it was more sophisticated
1: than my other shows. Did they, com- is- Did they comment on the language, or that was the comment on the language? That was the comment. They said it was more sophisticated. Are it- they proud of you? I think so.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's it's complex because I think they'd be proud of me a lot of versions of me, and this is probably the least desirable version that they're proud of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, and I, I know we are, we're we going to run out of time soon, so I just sure. want to, I want to, I actually wrote down a bunch of stuff. Oh, great. Because um, but this conversation was going well, so we, we and, ran with it, yeah. But there were just a couple of things that um, I wanted to ask about it, and one of them we almost started talking about before the, the we started rolling the uh, digital tape, which is you have this incredible confidence as a performer, but often that performer is telling stories about a guy who thinks he's right about stuff and then his clue turns out to be wrong mm-hmm. and uh, and that is that sort of duality how you get through the day like where are you living now in terms of how you think of of, of yourself uh, as someone who has more of the answers or is is, is wrong footed when he thinks
0: no he no does? I think I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the middle of a deep search for something
1: for um, what
0: I, I'd like to make Films and shows, you know, at the caliber that Woody Allen and James L. Brooks and, you know, Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor and all these people who I admire have done. I, you know, I, and, and I, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get there. I'm putting out the best possible things I can. But like I said, like I'm acting to try to become a better actor. I'm directing to try to become a director. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, in this, I'm in the search like everyone else, and I have moments of confidence and moments of, of, of denial and uh, self-doubt.
1: And at the same time, you're able to do the writer thing of deta- becoming a little bit detached and noting what happens along the way. Like, what's your process of, ta- of sto- with storytelling? How are you, cause, you know, as you know, like writers listen to this and, 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 yeah. and a creative person. I mean, how do you start to, before you even shape the material, how do you start to gather the material?
0: I keep it. I keep notebooks. I have piles and piles of notebooks. I'll, a lot of times it's free writing based. Like I'll be on the subway and I will just write down whatever I'm thinking of. And what I find is that whatever you're thinking of becomes what you're writing. And you you, you realize what you're interested in writing about when you write it. Um, I think the hardest thing about writing is writing. Yeah. And, and because it's a battle itself, because so much of writing is is this horrible feeling of like, is that all I am? And then the answer is, yeah. Right. It
1: actually is. It's as good as you are and as bad as you are. Oh, it's a it's a constant acknowledgement of your own inadequacy. Yeah. And then like having the fortitude uh, to press on anyway. Yeah. Is that, like, is that what yeah, you Yeah, no, the, in
0: the Vine that you had that I, I'll probably botch the quote, but it's like anything that you've ever loved in a movie or a play at some point, the person writing it is like, this is a pile of crap.
1: Oh, yeah, like, uh, people have told me stories about Coppola being on set and going like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do today. Yeah. And uh, every writer, and you know, is there the, you know, I'm sure Hemingway didn't have any self-doubt when he was writing The Sun Also Rises. Yeah. But basically, any great piece of art. Yeah. Particularly particularly any movie, there was 100% a day when that woman writing that thing or that guy writing that thing, you know, you watch a movie like Enough Said, and Nicole Center who, as you know, and I've met her, yeah. on, she gave an interview I, I read where, like, that took her like a year to, and that seems flawless. And since yeah. you know there were days when she yeah. stood up from, like, she writes in bed or whatever, where she stood up and just like, well, I suck.
0: Yeah, for sure. I
1: don't know what to do. Nicole, yeah, and she's
0: someone who, man, does she have seven movies or something and they're all great. She's never, not a clunker. Not <laughs> no. a Not a
1: clam, not yeah. a clunker. No, she's one of the great. Yeah. Um, Artist, I think, uh, and if people don't know her movies, a great one to start with is enough said. Or please or, give. I rewatched Please
0: Give and it's o- flawless. Oliver
1: is incredible in that oh, movie, yeah. Uh, yeah. and Oliver Platt, and and uh, and her, actually her first movie, Walking and Talking. Walking which and has Talking. Keener, yeah. and uh, Leah Schreiber, and it's uh, uh, fantastic and just as current and great now. I think is when it oh yeah first came out. Um, all right, I, asked, I wanted to ask you about building an audience. You answered that so. You know, the show is called The Moment, and the, the reason is I'm really fascinated by the ways in which people have accomplished remarkable things, process the big moments in their lives, like whether big moments or small moments, posi- like whether big moments, whether like a positive thing that happened to them or uh, a, a bad thing that happened to them. So, um, and normally I, I can say to the person like, oh, well, what about this moment in your life? But hearing you talk, I'm wondering like when you went off on that all, was there a moment when you thought to yourself, I've reached this bedrock competency, um, I'm good at this, I know how to do it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, it's funny, when I did Letterman for the first time, my, my first manager was this guy named Lucian Hold who passed away, he, he used to run the comic strip on the Upper East Side, he used to book talent there, and he was my manager, and he said that he saw me perform the night before Letterman and he saw me perform the night after Letterman and he said, There's a different person. Wow. And I think that sometimes it takes that break for you to just psychologically say I I'm okay at this. And so I don't there's a there's a relaxation that occurs, I think, in the body. Where a lot of times I'm faking the relaxation when I get on stage. And trying to recreate the real feeling that I felt the day after I did Letterman where I'm like, I don't care. I did it. Yeah. I did it. You could, if I died tomorrow, I did Letterman. I grew up on that show and I'm on that show.
1: That was it. Yeah, that was probably the biggest thing. And did you, what were you like in the weeks after that? Like, did you immediately keep working? Like, did you say to yourself, I better keep writing. I better get better. Did you coast for a while?
0: I think I, I I wrote a lot, but I my stage persona was so, I didn't, ca- I so didn't care that my stage persona was beyond relaxed to a point where people were <laughs> were just like, does he even care that he's on stage does he even know? right now? Yeah, like in some ways, like my first, my album that's not even in print basically now or whatever you'd call it, Dog Years, in some ways is my most relaxed album because it was recorded right at that moment. And it's like, the, I don't even have a hint of. That's the one I first heard. Yeah. For sure. I don't have any hint of like being nervous and I'm, I'm totally relaxed. And I feel like I'm always trying to get back to that relaxation. Because it was all
1: upside. Yeah. Right. There was no self-consciousness. Yeah. It's just like, oh. What well, about- you pull the trick off though, man. When someone comes, to, I mean, we saw you when I saw that show and you know, you do, it's clear you're up there having a great time. I love being on stage. It's so much fun. And that you're connected. And when
0: the audience gets into it. I get into it more, and then some of those shows, like the one you saw, it becomes euphoric. It was. In the room. I want everybody to have a great time at my shows.
1: No, and what I thought that night was like, this is somebody, and I know you love making movies and you're good at it. Like, I mean, Sleepwalk With Me is, uh, not just for a first film, it really works as a movie. You are, and so I'm sure that each movie is going to continue to become, you know, this process. Yeah. But... When watching you on that stage, I thought, well, this guy could be doing this in Madison Square Garden and he could create this feeling. I mean, do you have those? Do you want to keep growing it? Like, how big an audience do you want to perform to live?
0: I would rather play Carnegie Hall for seven nights than play Madison Square Garden once, which is essentially the same amount of people. Um, I'm not that good at math. No, you know what I mean. They're like, like I, I I like you like the smaller. I like two. I like one thousand to two thousand seat theaters where everyone can feel like they're having an experience all at the same time. Almost, you know, that's why I call the tour. Thank God for jokes. It's almost like a religious experience to me. Jokes are like a religious experience for me. Like sharing a joke with a group of people, everyone laughing as a group at someone saying something that is borderline
1: insane is awesome to me. Well, it's something that you create every time you step on stage, and you do it in a way that's warm and inviting and personal, and I think that's what separates it. Um, where can people? Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks, this, man. I'm this is a, a blast to get to talk to you like this. What um, people can find you on at MikeBerbiglia.com? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Berbig's.com or at Berbig's
0: B-I-R-B-I-G-S, which is just and- sort of a nickname people and
1: you'll me. see burbigs uh and me interacting on the twitter i'm at brian yeah. koppelman on twitter and uh thanks for listening go see go to his website and if he's playing near you uh i, I don't ever really do this on the show but it's true uh, it's it's um you could go with your parents you could go with your brother and you will find something in the show uh i, my, t- I always say teenage children people always ask me kids eh 13 and up Oh yeah, thirteen-year-olds would totally get it, no problem. Uh, I wouldn't bring a New, toddler York City, New York City eleven-year-old. New York City eleven-year-olds, <laughs> Kansas City fifteen-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, hey, Kansas City, I'd say don't send me letters. But come on, you don't even have podcasts there. I'm just joking. It's <laughs> a joke, dear. No, I'm not digging the hole. Not, it's not true. Digging the classic compliment hole. Go see Burbiggs. You'll have a great time. Mike, thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to Grantland.com and click on Podcasts.